0: Once upon a time, Little Red Riding Hood, The Boy Who Cried Wolf, cautionary tales that many of us heard as children. And we heard cautionary admonitions as well, like, wait an hour after you eat before you go swimming, or you might get a cramp and drown. Familiar, vivid stories that come down to a simple do this, or don't do that. We could say that today's gospel, there was a rich man, works the same way. Ignore the poor at your gate, and you will suffer fiery, painful consequences. Now, last week's gospel about the dishonest manager, we knew from the outset was complicated. This week's gospel about the rich man seems simple, but perhaps deceptively so. What I'd like to do this morning is unpack these readings and then let you see what God might be saying to you, what God might want you to hear, what connects or resonates with your life. But first, let's imagine There is a rich man who lives inside a gated home, who wears designer clothes, and who eats enormous quantities of fabulous food every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered in sores, starving, hoping for some scraps from the rich man's table, with only the dogs to tend his wounds. biblical historians point out that outside the gate of a wealthy home generally was a bench where the poor can wait. It was customary for the servants to bring the leftovers to the poor outside the gate. Hospitality is a central value in the Jewish tradition and it was expected that leftover food would be distributed. It cost them nothing There were no refrigerators for storage, and it was the right thing to do. A good Jewish home would do this, even if there wasn't a gate. So our rich man not only ignored poor Lazarus, who, by the way, was not sitting on the bench but lying down in the dirt. Our rich man ignored the hospitality and care for the poor that was expected of him. He violated a fundamental tenet of the Jewish faith that is emphasized again and again and again throughout Hebrew scripture, hundreds of times. Eight times in Exodus, 12 times in Leviticus, 15 times in Deuteronomy, 26 times in the Psalms, 17 times in the Proverbs, and that's just for starters. Care for the poor is a hallmark of biblical tradition, the law, and the prophets. This is not an obscure tenet. Every single Jew, faithful or not, would hear and know this. Now the prophet Isaiah, who was sort of Jesus' go-to prophet that he quoted a lot, says something about the poor over 30 times, like this. Isaiah 59, verses 6 through 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not hide yourself from your own kin? The poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, feed my sheep. Jesus' message isn't new. It is new its foundational Biblical Judaism hammered home by the prophets who don't mince words. We heard Amos a little bit of Amos this morning and I read a sidebar that said if you like Amos you have not understood him (laughs) because Amos is mad all the time so if you will indulge me we we hear him sort of eviscerating the idle rich alas for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Alas, indeed. Well, when poor Lazarus dies, he is carried up by the angels, quote, to be with Abraham. Well, somewhere along the line, the language got censored because the more accurate translation is, carried by angels into the bosom of Abraham. I'm sure you know, rock of my soul, in the bosom of Abraham. So, the rich man looks up from Hades and sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. The word appears twice. I don't think that bosom is the racy word it once was, and I'm glad, because the image is one of intimacy, of love, of comfort, of being held, giving Lazarus the nurture he didn't receive. More contemporary translations say, into the lap of Abraham. And that's a lot better than to be with. And in my imagination, it looks a lot like the Pieta of Abraham holding Lazarus across his lap held tight to his chest. Now it's important to notice that in this parable, it's Abraham who speaks, not Jesus. Abraham, whom God chose to go to a new land and people that land. Abraham, the ancestor from whom all Jews, including Jesus and us, descend. So Jesus has been hounded by the pharisees and it's as if he thinks okay you won't listen to me well how about this and he turns it over to Abraham the founding father to make clear to the rich man that there are consequences for ignoring God and God's commandments and that there are responsibilities that come with being people of God particularly in how you treat other people, especially the poor. Again, this is not new information. But the rich man never gets it. He cannot shed his entitled and privileged position, even in Hades. He tells Abraham to send Lazarus to get him some water. The request is denied. And so, With no apparent hope for rescue, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers to give them the inside information, as it were, so that they can repent and change before it's too late. Abraham gently tells him that his brothers have had the inside information all along from Moses and the prophets. And if the brothers refuse to hear Moses and the prophets, they will certainly not believe Lazarus. Or maybe in our time, Jesus. Notice too that Abraham begins his explanation with, child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things. The rich man is still a child of God, as we all are. That doesn't change. God is the constant. And the rich man has choices to turn his face toward God or not. But God's love for him is the same. It's curious to me that although the rich man wants his brothers to repent, he never does. He never says he's sorry for what he's done or asked forgiveness or acknowledge any wrongdoing he never sees lazarus as a person he says have mercy on me and tell lazarus to get me some water not exactly a repentance there's also a chasm between heaven and hell that abraham says is fixed that can't be crossed in either direction, at least not by wishing it so. Because that chasm, in some ways, is a chasm of our own making, calcified rock of pride and privilege. Lazarus did nothing to earn his angel flight to the bosom of Abraham, but the rich man by his own choices, made that flight impossible for himself, at least for now. Now it seems to me that God, who can move mountains, might fill that chasm. When repentance is real, the offer humble, the ask for forgiveness sincere. Jesus came, we say, to save sinners, to forgive sins that we might have eternal life. And I believe that to be true. But I also believe that the transformation of forgiveness opens the heart and melts the chasm we build. Now I know some might say that I am diluting the message softening the edges, ignoring the punishment that the rich man and those like him deserve. Maybe, but I don't think so. What Jesus brings is forgiveness, unconditional love, and compassion for our human flaws, encouraging us to make better choices for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters, keeping in our sights the good, the loving, and the bosom of Abraham. So I offer you this morning images of the gate and the chasm, of Lazarus and Abraham and the rich man. Let the details of the story sink in and send you beyond the simplicity of a cautionary tale. And let's all wrestle with how damn hard it is to let go of our pride and our privilege, our selective hospitality. So what do you think? What resonates with you? What do you think God wants you to hear today? and ponder in your heart this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.